Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a Triad production. I'm your host, Dr. Graham Taylor. Today is part two of a two-part series with Dr. Jana Martin. In part one, we discussed the nuts and the bolts of setting up one's private practice. In today's show, we're going to be discussing the nuts and bolts of planning for retirement from a mental health practice. In way of introduction, Dr. Jana Martin is the CEO of the American Insurance Trust, a provider of malpractice insurance and other products for psychologists and allied healthcare professionals. In her clinical practice, her experience includes many years of working in hospitals and mental health clinics, as well as independent practice in which she worked with children, adolescents, and adults. Jana, so nice to have you here this morning. Welcome back to the show. Well, thank you, Graham. As always, I'm just delighted to be here to talk with you. We're we're delighted to have you back. You know, what I love about our field is that we can have so many different seasons in it, if we choose, with myriad opportunities really for professional and personal expression. Remind our listeners, what are some of the seasons of your career that you've just so enjoyed? Mm -hmm. Yes, well, sure. I'm happy to talk about that. And I'd have to start just by saying that I've loved every single thing I've done as a psychologist. And many of them have been extremely different. And they were not always a part of my original plan. And I think that that's the best way to think about seasons of your career. Have some idea, but don't overlook opportunities as they come up to take you down a different road. To me, the, the flexibility to do something of value based on where I am in my life at the time and what my current interests are is very valuable. Knowing that has been key to my success and happiness, I really think. I, I guide myself by what feels good to me, what am I interested in now, how have my interests changed, yeah. and I've been able to figure that out best belonging to various professional and volunteer groups, regional, state, national associations. The PTA has been very much a part of my professional women's service organization, which technically has nothing to do with my being a psychologist, but has everything to contribute to the paths that I have taken. I've even uh, volunteered at a dental clinic and working at so, in so many other places. And as I took part in each of these, and very importantly, was nurtured by each of these, mm-hmm. I continued to see various opportunities for me as a psychologist. I built yeah. relationships, some of which led to immediately beneficial relationships, And some of which actually kind of simmered over time, but became very important later. You know, what I love about that is, is it's kind of a candy store when you think about it. It is. You can walk in and if there's a need going on, most likely more times than not, because we're kind of relational beings, as we know, there's some role for a mental health practitioner to help make something better, solve a need, enhance something. Mm -hmm. Remember in my uh, in my training, I was in the hospital. I kind of grew up in the medical center, professionally, and we had inpatient uh, psychiatric where we're doing assessments and evaluations. We had a health rotation where we were up in the medical center mm-hmm. with trauma and and different hospitalizations, community things. In fact, I know that you and I talk about different positions. You and I first met back in the 1990s through yes. APAs 
public education committee where you were in a leadership position there. Talk to us about a few more types of therapy or, or maybe uses of your license that you've used throughout your career. Sure, I'm happy to. And at the core of all of these is the importance of relationships, yeah. professional relationships, not necessarily in my own profession, as you will see. So one of the fun parts of my career was actually working as a consultant to the Head Start program. Now, of course, you know, that's available. A lot of people are aware of it, but it had a personal interest for me first because my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, was actually the, one of the, in the, the first group of Head Start teachers in the state of Florida. Oh. And when I was very young, I heard her talking about Head Start and what she did, and she'd show me pictures that the kids would draw her. And so I had kind of implanted in my head, look at how happy this makes my grandmother and what a difference she's making. And so because of that, I was drawn to Head Start programs and began uh, working with them as a consultant in the classroom. I did a parent teacher trainings, all of that, that were translated into several different languages simultaneously as I was speaking. And that was a very important use uh, of my talents and it was very rewarding. I've also been very involved and a part of different contributions in my roles, serving as president of regional psychological associations or a state psychological association and even a division of a national association. A different use of my skill sets, which not, wasn't necessarily delivering therapy, but I did use my clinical skills in every single part of those roles, but it was something that I qualified for, if you will. Yes. You know what I love about that is you're, I think you're encouraging our listeners and also maybe even some ECPs to recognize that their career doesn't have to be singularly focused, that if they, if they recognize and appreciate the skills that they've developed and other things they could be eligible for, and on top of that, maybe recognizing and appreciating that they can go into some of the lay fields and some of the other areas like dental clinics, who, who would, you know, who'd have thunk that you could have come into a dental clinic and bring a mental health component to it yes, or other, yeah. other, other areas and to be able to educate those that may not consider how therapy or how, how a mental health approach could benefit. What was that award, Janet, back in the day that they had? I'm not sure they're still doing it through APA. Psychologically healthy workplaces. And we would come into different businesses and educate them to understand how they can enhance the mental health of their employees in ways they didn't even think about. That's right. And then we got to reward them and kind of consult with them. And what a great way to come in and enhance what's already being done. But what you're also saying is that really practitioners are going to be only limited by their imaginations and maybe openness to new opportunities. Say more about that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's just take the dental clinic for a minute, because I think this is really, again, a trajectory that I could never have predicted, but one that I would never have not done. So I, I was asked to be on the board of a dental health clinic that served disadvantaged families, mostly Spanish speaking families. And I got into that board because a member in the women's service organization, Seroptimist International of Long Beach that I belong to, was the administrator of the dental clinic. Again, relationships are very important. They connect you. And she asked me to be on the board and I served on the board for many, many years, including as president. And that led to numerous opportunities to train the staff of the dental clinic 
But also on the board, obviously, were dentists. And so I was able to educate them on how psychologists could help them in their private practices in the same way that I was helping within the dental clinic. And also there were pediatricians Mm -hmm. on that board. Well, do I need to tell you that pretty soon they became referral sources for me in my private practice that I had at the same time. But one of the things that came out of this as well which might seem fairly non-traditional, is I got very intrigued by the families that came into the dental clinic and just the overwhelming amount of dental caries or cavities in children who didn't even have teeth yet. And they could see by the x-rays that there was decay. And then, of course, as the teeth would erupt, And we're talking about, obviously, kids under a year old. They would see that, and the dentists were very on to what was causing it. And that is that a lot of families learned how to calm their children down by giving them a bottle of sugar water. And so the child would calm down, the sugar would get into the gums, child would fall asleep, and it would just nest there, and then began to rot and decay the teeth. So they said, well, we need to do a program that eliminates the use of sugar water. We just tell parents they can't use it. And I said, well, but you got to give them something to do instead. Absolutely. And they said, well, like what? So I said, well, there are behavioral strategies for how to calm children down, how to calm yourself down when you're upset. And I said, and what you will see if you don't do that is an increase in child abuse rates. Because if you do not teach parents how to cope with stress and difficulty with their children, there is always, unfortunately, that possibility. And so we developed a behavioral program that gave parents training skills, had children and parents who were both happier, and then that led to the development by Division 42 President Elaine Rodino of a mental dental conference. And that led to a book chapter and another book chapter and a ton of other opportunities. So you're exactly right. You you may not see the full gamut of opportunities, but think about, as we mentioned in the podcast about starting a practice, How can psychology help in this situation? How can I teach people that psychology can help in this situation? You know, when you describe it like that, it it keeps our profession really fresh for the practitioner, doesn't it? It's yes. It can be multimodal in its in its application, and it keeps it fun. It keeps it relationship based. That's Mm -hmm. what we're in this profession for: for relationships and to connect, come alongside people to help benefit, enhance, and work through some things. And, who, you know, going back, I love that idea of how do we start with one area and then watching it blossom into a chapter in a book or, or article and maybe a conference. How cool to watch that blossom like that. But we're also talking about there is a kind of a candy store presentation to us of all the opportunities. Just out of curiosity, how did you balance the private practice with all these other areas areas of interest and some fun and people really kind of knocking it right. Your Right. Well, that's where the planning comes in. And knowing knowing the the importance of balancing what your desires are with what your limitations are Mm -hmm. and understanding that if you don't protect and take care of yourself, then you're going to burn out. 
and you're not going to be able to see the flourishment of all of these possible opportunities. So what I would do is I sat down and tried to figure out, I want to see people in an independent practice. I really want to do that, but I don't want to do just that. I also want to teach. I also want to consult all of those things. So I sat down and I thought, how much money do I need to make? Because that's important. Not your first, your first thing is how much do you need to make to pay your bills and not feel like you're not enjoying the profession? And then the next question is how much do I want? Because you have to think about that as well. Then how many patients do I need to see at what fee to amount to the amount of money to cover my bills and what other things might I enjoy doing that would bring in a different source of revenue? So for example, I've always loved testing and assessment and you can, you can charge more for assessments. And so I dedicated, I will do one assessment a week and that will net me about this amount of money. And that means I can see three less patients. And so then that gives me three hours I can spend consulting or doing volunteer work. So you figure out, you know, kind of like a big pie chart. What do I want? How many hours do I need to spend making what amount of money? Because your sources of revenue will differ widely. How many do I need to do? And then, and this is important, how do I bill properly and effectively so that I get paid in a timely way. That's an important part as well. And then I would set aside a certain number of hours each week for emergencies, Mm -hmm. because those happen, or events that might come up or special one-time opportunities and to be able to fit those into my schedule. And if I didn't have that, then how would I spend that time that would not be wasted time? Now, many times, if I'm honest, I put way too much on my plate, but I had to remind myself, okay, you didn't follow your schedule or it's time to regroup that schedule. And I did that by figuring out what is my priority? What is important to me, both inside of my practice and outside of my practice, which would include my family, of course, and volunteer work, because we go back to the importance of self-care is what also nourishes you to be able to think differently, to act differently, and to take on different responsibilities. You know what I love about this part of your message right here to early career practitioners, to those of us in the field, it's just an encouragement to be so intentional yes, and, and thoughtful about yes. what am I doing? What do I want to be doing? And am I doing the things that line up kind of almost align with my design of what I enjoy doing? So you're talking about trying to get a balance of kind of following one area as a passion, following opportunities for success that one wouldn't think about. And also the realistic part of I've got to build in a financial certainty in my practice so that yes. I know that what I'm doing is going to translate into paying my bills. This is, this is our profession, isn't it? Our commodity, exactly. our commodity is our time right. and our expertise. Yes. Those are the things that we bring into relationship with people to work through things that they're dealing with. So it's trying to find that balance between those, isn't it? Right. And I think, you know, for me, I've always tried to follow my passion first yeah. instead of success or money. And yeah. what I found was, that what I was passionate about, I did very well. 
And that led to success, which then led to a way to support myself while also serving in a way that, that I was passionate about. Yeah. I would ask myself, does this opportunity or what can I think of is an opportunity that challenges me to use a part of me that I haven't used yet? Yes. Yeah. And there are a lot of those pieces. Yeah. How can I extend someone else? or something else. I'm a value add. How can yeah. I craft that into something that benefits me and benefits the people that I want to help? What fits in with my goal, my ultimate goal of helping other people? And what, again, do I just flat enjoy? You know, there's a, a quote that I like by Kevin Donaldson. It's, success doesn't happen by accident. You make it happen. Yes. And that's important for practitioners to think about. Yeah, I love that. Why not script your life professionally, personally as well, but why not professionally as well and decide what you want to do. And it can always take different roads who, you know, who would think of the various areas that you came into, you know, mm -hmm. from leadership to a dental clinic to, you know, Head Start, all these various areas that mm -hmm. just add and shade in so much joy and what someone gets to do in their practice. You know, as we're talking about one's practice, I'm also realizing that at some point we move towards our later years, not that we're going to maybe put out the pasture, but I think in most of us, and as we kind of go through this field, we think about retirement of some kind, but I don't find most practitioners going through the formal retirement that we might see in other businesses. I, I think we find other involvements in other areas, but as you enter and before we start talking about it for our listeners about some considerations of retirement, as you enter your next season of your career, what are you considering? Yes. Well, I would go all the way back and I would say as practitioners, we are very well trained in treatment planning. And one of the things that we're taught is that you should have in mind in the first several sessions, what your termination plan is for your patient or client. What goals do you have and, and how will you know when you've gotten there? Well, retirement is very similar. The time to think about your retirement, especially if you're going to be an independent practice or self-employed, yeah. is not when you turn 60. Uh, it's when you start because those are the building blocks of what are my prime net earning years when I have more flexibility. Maybe when my children are young, I cut back. But the plan is that before I have children or as they get older, that I can build up. And it's important, no matter where you are in your stage, to consult with an accountant or a financial planner. This is not something that all of us do naturally. And there are many things that we don't think about. What's the best savings plan for us? Is it a 401k, an IRA? What is it? And what's, some things aren't available to us. So... And then I think there are other things, too, about, well, okay, can I even view myself as retiring, which I can't. I'm still loving everything I do, and so I'm not about to quit. But at some point, of course, that's, that's a reality. So what am I going to do then? Have I properly planned and saved? But what else can I do? Am I going to volunteer? And if I do, what do I need to know about volunteering? For example, one may think, well, I'm retiring from doing my private practice or consulting or working in a clinic or an agency so I can let my malpractice insurance go. 
but I'm going to volunteer at a children's home to provide group therapy or whatever. Well, you better have malpractice insurance. So retiring from your independent practice does not mean that you're no longer going to use your skills or your license. So think about how long will I keep my license? How long do I need to keep my coverage? And then there are a lot of other aspects of insurance to look at that we can talk about when you're ready. No, I, I'm ready. Let's kind of jump into that piece. You sure. know, you're talking about finances, investments, insurance coverage. What are some of the things that, you know, you as just a colleague in the field and maybe the trust as well are encouraging in this last season of someone's, you know, career, the things that they should be considering in an intentional way like you're describing? Mm -hmm. Well, I think from an insurance perspective, it, it's different from, from, of course, what things you do practically in closing a practice. And we can certainly talk about that. But okay. I would encourage the young listeners to buy a life insurance policy now, not later. Yeah. And a lot, of, a lot of young people think, gosh, I have minimal money, limited income. I'm 36. Why do I need a life insurance policy? Or why do I need a disability policy? Well, it's because one in four people who use a disability policy are under the age of 50. Oh. And we don't often think about that. Accidents happen. And life insurance protects your family. If you're the main breadwinner or if your family needs both incomes, if you don't have life insurance and God forbid something happens to you, how is your family gonna cover all the expenses and plans and goals that you have for your family if you don't have extra money coming in? And how is that gonna happen? Well, life insurance is one of those. And it can give you great peace of mind. Uh, Long-term care insurance is important too. But with life insurance, the younger you are, the cheaper it is, mm -hmm. and the less hoops you have to jump through in terms of medical clearance. If you wait to buy a life insurance policy when you're 50, then you may not qualify for the same kind of coverage because you may have developed some issues medically during that time. So give that some thought. Those are, are other kinds of savings plans, if you will. We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Continuing education is both a requirement and a learning opportunity, but finding the right CE provider can be challenging. AATBS, a triad company, offers continuing education for psychologists, social workers, marriage and family therapists, counselors, and behavior analysts. CE courses are available both individually and as part of our new All Access Pass. All Access Pass provides a library of over 250 unique courses. That's more than 800 hours of CEs, with new courses being added every month. As a special offer, Behavioral Health Today listeners can save 15% on CE purchases. Visit us at aatbs.com bht and enter promo code bht15 during checkout. That's aatbs.com bht. Check out our library and check off your CE requirements today. You talked about, too, getting some professionals alongside of you. We don't have to be, you know, a jack of all trades. We can bring some other professionals around us, like an accountant or a long-term planner. How important do you see that being such that maybe getting those people involved in your life early on to set up this career plan, just like we do a treatment plan? I, I like that analogy there. Mm -hmm. what, kind of, what kind of professionals would you encourage practitioners having as consultants mm -hmm. for 
just their life practice, retirement, et cetera? Mm -hmm. Well, certainly the ones that you mentioned, financial planners, looking at people who include as a part of their financial planning business, the importance of how different insurances can help contribute to that. And so looking for a certified financial planner or a certified life consultant would be very important. And you can stick with them throughout your career. That would be important. But here's another valuable resource. It's not necessarily outside of our profession, mm -hmm. but if you're in your 30s or your 40s, talk to those of us who are not in our 30s and our 40s yes. and consult with us. And this is where belonging to associations or groups such as consultation groups can be so helpful because it's free. Uh, you know? But you say, what would you have done differently? If you look back, what would you have done differently to have made things easier for you financially, stress-wise, uh, all of that? So I think looking at that is important. Yeah. Look at investments. Do you want to buy an office building? Could that be a source of revenue? So talk to real estate investors, figure out what do you need to look for? It can be a very dangerous thing to do on your own because mm -hmm. you don't know what factors to consider like upkeep and insurance for the building and uh, all of those things. But, but think about ways that you can have other streams of revenue through very wise financial diversification. Really good. You know, as we're talking about these things, I'm aware that a lot of us, one, don't get taught about the business of the business in our field. And a lot of it, I think, is uncomfortable for a lot of yes. folks. But I think you're kind of gently nudging that once you lean into these things and bring some other professionals that this is their gig, this is what they're good at. They get to consult with us in the same way that we get to consult with people that come to see us, which is our field. Right. And they get to walk through these things with us. Let's get a little bit more specific on some of the areas of importance for therapists planning for retirement. Yes. Name some of the things that these therapists need to know and can so benefit from before they start to retire, but it's in the planning process. Isn't yes. It? Yes, absolutely. I'd probably say one of the most important things you can do, whatever stage of the career you're in, it's never too late to do this if you haven't done already, is to make a professional will. Mm. And you will need to hire an attorney. It shouldn't cost you too much to do this. There are some template forms on our website, or you can even buy template professional wills in an office uh, store, an office Jenna, supply store. Jenna, why do you refer to that as a professional will versus a personal will? Because you have a practice, you have people who are depending on you to provide them with a service. And if you were to die or become disabled prematurely, your clients still need to be taken care of. And not only do they need to be taken care of with what you were seeing them for, but because you have been a constant in their lives. There will be trauma and loss and grief and anger and frustration for not being able to see you again, whether again it's through disability or death. And I'll, I'll tell you, I had a client in my private practice who was married to a therapist who died very suddenly mm. and unexpectedly. He did not have a professional will. And she had to deal with her own grief of losing her husband and trying to figure out what she was going to do. 
But she also had to deal with, what do I do with this practice? How do I notify people? How do, what do I do? How do I, do I refer people? She didn't know anything about confidentiality. And so this burden falls to your loved ones if you have not taken care of this in advance. And so it's, it's easy to prepare for this. And so, but it is one of the most important things because it impacts so many people in different traumatic ways. Yeah, I really like that. I think, you know, we don't, we don't think about that piece of it, but what a great way to steward the relationships that we come into professionally for kind of a long-term care for their needs and their psyche as well. I know you also recommend in this season too, to consult with an attorney and, 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 and accountants to start mm-hmm. considering maybe some of the, you know, emotional needs you go into this time to say more yes. about some of the considerations you're encouraging our colleagues as they move into this great season mm-hmm. to consider as well. Mm-hmm. Well, if you have not been consulting all along with a financial person, again, that's something you want to do at some point, preferably earlier than later, but better now than never to find out, do I have enough savings? How do I cover some of these situations? And do I need to continue to work, but perhaps in a different capacity? So instead of seeing clients back to back, maybe I do workshops, or maybe I do assessments, or things that you can do that are a little bit more circumscribed, that you have a little bit more control over, that would be important. But it's hard for many of us to stop doing what we love. I know. And most people don't think about the actual grief process that we go through yeah. in giving up our practice. And how do we deal with those emotions and that sense of loss? Because even if it's a losing, a loss of your own choosing, it's still a loss. And most people don't think about that. So having a support group or being in your own therapy is very helpful because it, this is a an impact on your life. It's your identity. How many of us have had patients or clients because they retired and they feel that their lives are valueless or meaningless and they don't know what to do with their time? Why do we think we'll be any different? That's good. That's really good. I think all of these things are, are good to track. Do you recommend maybe, or maybe there's even a, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna refer here to, to, to checklists. We can yes. create our own, we can, as colleagues, come up with our own. Do you have, through the trust, or any, any recommended checklist that you'd recommend? And also maybe the importance with a checklist like this, maybe even setting a specific date to have a target date in mind. Absolutely. So there are many good checklists. I've provided your listeners with some references. The American Psychological Association has some very good checklists that they can use. We have one on the trustinsurance.com website. And, and you know, you don't have to follow them exactly, but it'll trigger your mind to think of things that you might not have thought about before. And it, it allows you to, okay, I've taken care of this. I've taken care of this. Because states require certain things of psychologists and therapists who retire. And that is you have to give notice to your patients, not just the ones you're currently seeing, but the ones that you've seen in the past. Some states require that you go seven years back or 
even a lifetime or business time back that you have to, some require you put an ad in the newspaper announcing mm. your retirement. Mm. And you also have a responsibility to finish the therapeutic work or at least wrap it in a way that you can make an appropriate uh, transfer of a particular patient. So setting the date and working backwards and seeing, gosh, do I need to adjust that date I just set? Because maybe I don't have enough time to do all of this. If you're on insurance panels, you have to give them by contract a certain number of days of notice before you can be taken off of the panels or whatever system that they're using. What about your lease? Yeah. Are you stuck in a lease that is going to end three years after you want to retire? So then what, what are your plans for that? Are you going to sublease? Can you? Does your lease contract allow you to do that? So it's important to think at, at a minimum two years in advance, if you can, to begin to think about what all do I need to look at? And these checklists are very valuable in kind of stirring up what we need to remember. So I think that's, that's very important. And then, of course, what are you going to do with your records? There are state laws that require, even after you've retired or moved or whatever it is, you have to keep the records. That's, again, where the professional will comes into place. Because if you're deceased, it's not going to be your responsibility for the records, but your estate becomes responsible. And we've seen claims where psychologists did not appropriately take care of clients' records and ensure that they were confidential by appointing an executor in advance, that the estate has been sued for inappropriate release of information or lack of accessibility by a client to a record. And one of the things, you know, we've talked about is consult, consult, consult. It's really important. And if, the, if you're a policyholder with a trust or TRMS, you know, we have a lot of resources that are available. Psychology policyholders can call and get free consultations about this. What do I need to know? How can I handle this? What's the best way to do this? Don't do this by yourself. You don't have to. That's really good. You know, we don't, I don't think we think about, again, your gentle nudging, but the ethical code about the interruption of services or even some of the legal ramifications per state. Right. We know that we don't know about those things that need to be considered as we kind of move into this next stage. So you're right. talking about different things regarding your practice. I know you're talking about some of the, how, how does one manage your files? I would even imagine that sometimes there's going to be some claims that still need to be submitted or outstanding balances. That's right. How does one navigate those in a way that's right. done ethically and also legally as well? Yes. And, you know, again, some states require that for a period of many years, sometimes it's the extent of the time that you have to keep treatment records, but in some states it's longer than that, that you have to be accessible if clients want to see their records or they need something. And so sometimes what we recommend is that you keep your same telephone number, but you convert it to an answering machine only service and you leave directions on the voicemail message 
If you are looking for your copy of your record, please leave your name here. I need this information. Please also give me your phone number. If you are asking about a referral, and then you have to either hire someone to monitor that who has signed all the business associate agreements and confidentiality agreements, of course, or you have to plan in your retirement time how you're going to continue to be responsible for this practice because responsibility does not end when retirement begins. Yeah, that's a, well, that's a good note right there. Just before we go into some of the resources that you guys are providing and some suggestions you might have, I also want to just name that for those that don't decide to retire and, you know, in a formal way, there's still, let's say those that want to can do, would do workshops or consultation around those things, speak about the need to consider an ongoing malpractice coverage in that next season as well. That yes. doesn't necessarily get to stop either, does it? That's exactly right. And, and thank you for emphasizing that. I think that we tend to think that lawsuits and board complaints only occur when we're in our typical business. But the reality is that if you are performing the duties of a psychologist, yeah. it doesn't matter what the environment is, who the population is that you're serving, or where you are doing it, you are practicing the same thing that you were as a licensed psychologist. And therefore, you are susceptible to malpractice claims or board complaints. So let's say, as, as I had mentioned an, an example earlier, I decide to volunteer at a children's home, or I decide to volunteer at a nursery school, but I'm actually giving guidance. I'm, I'm telling parents, here's a behavioral program, or I recommend that they go to therapy. Well, what if uh, the parent is, gets upset about it? Something happens as a result of an intervention that I recommended. They can still sue me. It, they don't care whether I've got an independent practice, whether I'm retired or what, whatever. They can still sue me. And if I don't have malpractice coverage, it's coming out of my retirement savings. Right. I may need to sell my home. I may have to give up other professions. And so if you do not have proper insurance coverage for losses, an umbrella policy that protects your personal assets from being used or taken because of, of a claim, and you don't have malpractice coverage to hire an attorney, the average cost of a board complaint in the, the first phase of the board complaint process is over $7,000. Oh and that's before it's even resolved in many yeah. cases. We know malpractice cases can be in up to a million dollars or more. They can be 40,000, anywhere in the range. And, and you have to think about, are you going to put in jeopardy the things that you've worked so hard for when you're retired and won't have as much time to make up for that money or earn replacement money? So if you are acting as a psychologist or a social worker or a marriage family therapist, a licensed professional counselor, then you can be sued or have a board complaint and you need to keep your malpractice insurance. Yeah, really good. 
You know, it gets scary when you talk about those types of things, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. It's when we don't consider That's those right. things and then we find ourselves in a moment. So we go back to consult, consult, consult. Let's talk about shifting just a wee bit and moving into the last part of our time here to get, let's talk about some of the resources Yes, where practitioners don't have to know it all, but they can have a place to go, getting the checklist, finding the ethical things, the legal things. Give us some resources that you'd sure. recommend our listeners kind of look into regarding this next season. Of right. Sure, I'm happy to. So I think whatever your profession is within the mental health field, there's an association for that. And so being a member of that association or becoming a member, you it then allows you to have access to uh, an abundance of resources, whether it's webinars, template forms, consultations at a free or reduced amount. That would be my first go-to place to find out what's what are some of the intro things? And, and so I would encourage people to look at that. I think also looking at blogs that psychologists who have gone through this or books that psychologists have written about preparing for your retirement would be very good. And of course, the trust has several webinars and fact sheets and resources related to retirement, along with many other things. And we would encourage people to just go look at them now. Don't be afraid. Take in as much as you can today. And maybe next week, take in a little bit more. Just get started. Yeah. Yeah. Just get started. Those things in motion tend to stay in motion. So just get started in it and get some consultation along the way. I love that. Really good. We're going to have some of those resources on our site related to this episode as well. So our listeners can go back to that. But Jana, you are always a wealth of information for us and truly a joy to be with. Thanks so much for being with us today. Oh, it's been my pleasure. And thank you. Nice to be here. I also want to thank you, our listeners, for joining Jan and me today. It's always great to have you with us. Again, I'd like to encourage you to listen to the first part of this podcast series, where Jan and I discuss the nuts and the bolts of the early stages of setting up one's private practice. Regarding our episode today, I want to remind you that it and all of our resources and all of our other episodes as well can be found on our webpage at triadhq.com bht. So check out our webpage, triadhq.com slash bht and explore our archives of other episodes and resource materials. Thanks again for being with us on the show and we'll look forward to having you back with us next time on Behavior Health Today. We appreciate all the support from our community and if you like our show, one of the best ways you can support it is by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a review. Behavioral Health Today is a podcast part of the Tribe Network, all rights reserved.